tragic hooker, raped and strangled, her body shoved under some rotted porch boards. Elderly weed dealer shot in the face out taking a stroll on a Saturday morning. Two young fellows stabbed to death in an epic of struggle in somebody's drive, one of them dying right there in the oil, the other one making it half a block further before crawling into a tipped portageon where they found him sprawled upright, knife still in his fist. Amelia Kent, the neutral ground, two slugs to the chest and one more to the head. The only suspects? Two black males in white skirt shirts on racer bikes. The only reminder, a tinfoil bouquet in the small weeded patch that had soaked up her blood. We stood in front of X's house. The street was exactly like Lula described on the night she had gone to get bourbon and takeout. From where we were standing, you wouldn't have known that a 50-yard stretch could claim so many lives. Shotgun houses, close upon. Some junk in the storm drains. But that was most zip codes. Just one blighted house left to stand on the street. The one where the dead prostitute had been bundled with bulldozer rumors on everyone's lips. Some guys in the corner were stooping and hard. Homegrown in the air, beer bottles, subwoofers. Going up. Fifth Ward Weeby. Some indistinct bounce. Some of the guys not engaged on the stoop was driving an ATV drinking a tall boy the partygoers toasting him when he would tear around the block. The kid with the phone who I'd palavered with about X and so forth on the night of the murder was in the same place I had seen him before, scrunched beneath the motion light across the street from X's house. That previous evening, the 10 p.m. shadows had softened his face, making him appear younger, but I now realized he was 12 or 13, which itself is a far cry from 10 or 11. I crossed the street to where he sat. He was wearing a Reggie Bush jersey and Jordans. He looked at my feet and then back at his phone. He had moved from drop seven to dead trigger two. This your place? Uh-huh, he said. Where do you live? Down the way. Intersection of down and the way, my mock noted, but the kid didn't look at me, glued to his phone. If you don't live here, then who does? Folks, he said, they got a pig, a pig for a pet, and they call her Loretta. Your extra special place, I said, where you come to, you know, get away from it all. Rightfully pegging my tone for sarcastic, he bugged out his eyes and horse mumbled his lips. I get better bars over here in the drive. I must be getting old, I said. Do murder scenes get Wi-Fi now? I smiled at him big. And he smiled back a little. He was almost this pretty kid with dark black skin and long lashed eyes. The set of his mouth had a gingerness to it, as though something too true to be shared with the world were always hovering on his lips. I knew your voice, the kid said now. Before I looked up, I could tell it was you. I'm the yat with the scoop. Where are you from? The North Shore. They'd never been out there before. You've been lucky. All right, so I had been born out that way. But I was born in Mobile, and that was deep south. I wanted to plant in his mind that I was local, but not so much it raised his hackles. That stuff was important to kids his age. When a session of telephones started among them that featured the tale of the white boy reporter, I wanted it leading to more than a dial tone. 
What's your name? I asked the boy. Tucson, he replied. Jazzman. This here the Treme, said Tucson. You surprised? I thought the Tucson was from Girttown, I said. Whatever, he said, and went back to his phone. So X couldn't shut the fuck up about what? He finished mowing down some zombies. A headshot made the screen turn red and he froze in that way and looked up. His eyes squinted. Ain't nobody trying to talk about that. Break the mold beginning now. He started to put his phone away and bend his knees to scamper off, but I knocked myself down to his level and crouched. He flinched and got this cornered look. I think that he thought I was hedging him in. Little brother, I'm sorry. I held up my hands. I know he was on to the Kent woman's murder. On the record, I don't need to hear it from you. I pointed at the stoop dudes. Maybe you want to introduce me? Ain't got time for that now. More hordes of undead need that bitch slapping, huh? But Toussaint pointed down the block. Second line, he said. Incoming. A slow-moving NOPD car came first, because every parade in this town had its escort. Next would come the ragged drunks, the horn players, bead flingers, and skeleton faces, the parasol-spinning grand dames of the south, and the bare-chested hustlers with coolers of beer. Pretty much anyone who had thought to glom on as the second line wended its way from the park. Those guys on the stoop were pre-gaming, of course. As soon as it reached them, they'd be in it too. I remembered what X had said to Lil before she'd gone out for that ominous takeout. They say evil hides, but they're wrong. It parades. As Toussaint had said, we were in the Treme. Second lines and jazz funerals were commonplace here. Was that what X had meant to say? That the Kent woman's murder was jazzland related? I pictured a man in a tilted fedora, his face shadowed below the brim. He loomed in my mind holding hands with a woman who was wearing a flapper's dress, tasseled and tight but she was one of Belloc's brides, or the work of his penitent Jesus-freak brother. Her face, like her sweetheart's, was shrouded in darkness. Got to get going, Toussaint started saying. My big brother Cleveland, he's playing the tuba. What band is he with? Renaissance 65. The best medicine that there is at your age, Toussaint said. A tuba? I said, a big brother. How old did you say Cleveland was? Seventeen. So that makes him a senior? But Toussaint didn't answer. I got to get going. You mind yourself, mister. Hey, Toussaint. I was still kneeling close to him, smiling. Just humor me for one second. Reflexively, he scanned his phone. Then he stuffed it away in his gym shorts. I'm listening. Anybody you know wanted X non-existent? Someone between here and the French Quarter, maybe? Maybe one of those cats on the stoop over there? Them cats be into heavy stuff, mister. Toussaint said it quickly, but then looked embarrassed. They ain't looking to fuck with the NOPD by stabbing a white boy to death on his couch. I nodded slowly. He was right. And anyway, he shook his head. That white boy was stupid, but he was okay. Pretty friendly, I heard. He would set in with folks, didn't talk your head off, but he liked to say hey, and he was tore up what went down with the lady, whatever her name was, the one that got shot, 
You know the story, asking folks. Didn't nobody want to say shit about nothing. He wasn't from here, said Toussaint. You said he knew your brother Cleveland? Knew a lot of the kids that lived on this block. He ever make you feel uneasy? Toussaint considered the words I was saying. Oh, he grinned and gulped. Like that. Nah, man. Nah, he wasn't. Shit. You were friends with him. Really? And that's what you're asking? Got to follow every lead. Man, now I really got to go. Parade is almost here. I said, stay one minute more and we'll watch it together. I rose from my crouch and I took out my phone and I checked my email and I took out my camera. All of it a complex ruse to give the kid a little space. He did look antsy at this point, not just from wanting to see the parade. It was almost as though he had grown terrified of what me and him standing there on the street would mean once the neighborhood gathered around us. He peered at Rob across the way and then took off down the block. I sauntered back to Cajun Rob, who was watching Toussaint in the coming parade. The front line was a block away. You always heard the brass band first. The trumpet and tuba and horns clearing yardage, slowly blaring into being. But what you saw first were the jags of the crowd, the spikes and the lulls of the characters in it. Middle-aged man sweating full devil makeup, a David Lee Roth mane of hair down his back. A woman with a champagne flute who churned in the midst of a debutante's gown, its ribbons and crinolines flashing around her. A couple of kids in the spectral headdresses of Mardi Gras Indians, whooping it up. And then there were those who were barely upright. They'd had so many drinks on the go as they marched, and they all had a pickled intensity to them as though they paraded in some kind of trance. I started idly taking pictures. Got a couple decent shots. Your boy's coming up and back. I heard Rob yelling in my ear, and sure enough, there was Toussaint, dancing crazy-armed Sasquatch in front of the drummers, a rainbow-feathered tomahawk extended high above his head. The horns passed in a blaze of sound. The fierceness of them stunned the air. I looked for somebody who looked like Toussaint among the tubas as they passed in hopes of catching sight of Cleveland, but it happened too fast to pick up the nuances. Some of them were older guys. Some of them wore high school colors. There was a falter in the crowd when one of the horn players botched the formation. The wake of the second line bunched up around him, people sidestepping and yelling, Swerve, baby! Cajun Rob said, Watch a light, or something like that. But the crowd drowned him out. Later, he told me he'd said, Watch the right or one of the two tuba players had stopped and was rooting erratically under his shirt. I couldn't even see his face, nor the back of his head. He was wearing a hat. All that I saw was the gun in his hand, silver snub nose 45. The way he raised it, clumsily, stopping a moment to mess with the safety and pressing it into the base of the skull of the trombonist marching ahead, pulled the trigger. But the hand must have flinched, and the gunshot went wild, 
shearing through the victim's ear and vanishing into the mid-morning dazzle. Later we found out it grazed the kid's temple. That accounted for the blood. A cloudburst of it hit the marchers, speckling their shoulders, their collars, their cheeks. The trombonist weaved, then he fell on the ground. The trombone flipped out of his hands and banged down with its last hopeful note wavering in the air, and that was the worst part about it, I guess, to hear the trombone's call cut short. People barely even freaked. The drunkest were the most upset. Colossal buzzkill, I'd imagine. They toddled around in these hand-wringing circles, as though deciding what to do while the rest of the marchers caroomed into action as soon as they saw that the shooting was over. And it was over. Hear my words. The shooter dropped the pistol in the middle of the street and went to sit down on the opposite curb. He still had his tuba slung on. He unslung it. Then he thought better of it. Reslung it again. He was Renaissance Charter, a jacket at least. I'd seen them march with crew of Toth. He couldn't have been a year over 18. And he wasn't hopped up like your average asshole who decides that he'll go Call of Duty in public, the sort of crackling way they move. He had a low-down sluggish look, like pulling the trigger had really depressed him. Like even way before the shot he'd been resigned to what would happen. It wasn't a rarity here in New Orleans. The Mother's Day beef between street crews on Frenchmen, which was also a second line, lest we forget. And then the one on Bourbon Street, where the Asian bar hopper unloaded on tourists. To some people, it was a gas to mix liquor with loaded guns. Me and Cajun Rob jumped in, trying to be something more than just gawkers. Folks had encircled the trombonist's body. They'd known not to move it. They'd blocked off the traffic. They'd stripped off their shirts to support the kid's head, which was bleeding prolifically into the heap. It seemed a bitter point of pride that everyone knew what to do. Me and Rob did our part in the blocking of traffic. I could tell by his stance he was seconds away from charging the shooter and pushing him down and kneeling the small of his back for the cuffs before he escaped like most second-line shooters, fleeing into the side streets and thin alleyways that ran between the shotgun houses, where often they remained at large for a number of days in a front to the cops. But even I saw that he wouldn't run far. He still had that low look, his head on his knees. Some of the older folks there had closed ranks and appeared to be giving the kid free advice. The gun lay in the street untouched. Well, shit on me, said Cajun Rob. I wasn't expecting the damn grassy knoll. Yeah, I said, with crappy aim. Can't come through here. Incident, Rob was telling a driver turning into the street who was gesturing, pissed at the back of the people. He started to roll down his window to yell, but I saved him the trouble. Fuck off. Go around. I normally wouldn't have gotten so hot, but seeing Toussaint skulk around broke my heart. He stood at the edge of the group of old folks, making pained overtures as though maybe he'd join them. Lurching forward, lurching back while madly texting on his phone. It didn't take Madame Blavatsky to see that the kid on the curb was his big brother Cleveland. The trombonist was still alive. It was anyone's guess if he'd stay that way, though. An ambulance came for him, grim paramedics. One of them stepped from the height of his seat to grind out a butt he'd been smoking en route before him and two others attended the victim, masking him, getting him up on the gurney. The fellows blowing up the stoop were somber now, their blunts extinguished. In a huddle of bodies, they watched from afar. The 
paramedics pulled away, revealing Daydu and O'Shea's beige sedan. I had known that they were here, and I guess, for some reason, they'd wanted it that way, preferring to make an assessment of things before they mingled with the crowd. As though to pick up where the last guy left off, O'Shea had a cigarette going as well. They crossed the street towards us, the dud and the damsel, suspicious of everything, peering around them. Y'all making a habit of this, said O'Shea. He blotted his face with a handkerchief, grinning. Third time it happens, God willing, he said. They do and me gotta arrest you on spec. Right place, wrong time, I said. How's that, asked O'Shea. Come to shoot the parade, the parade gets shot up. Pray doesn't seem like your normal milieu, said Daydu, standing slightly in back of O'Shea. Human interest, I answered. People love it. Seventh Ward Rising, the Mercy Parade, tradition in the face of bloodshed. Who's lead? asked O'Shea. Picayune. I held up my palms in a show of surrender. O'Shea took a drag and fumed smoke. He said, shit. That paper ain't got the staff budget to run human interest. This wouldn't have something to do with X, would it? May he rest in peace, I said. Because if I was you, he said, and my competition got offed in the night under dubious, maybe occult circumstances, then I would want to find out why. I would want to brush up on my hardy boys pronto, and I'd start overturning clues. But this here is the difference between a cop's instinct and the instinct of... What do you go by these days? Siren chaser, said Daydu. Carrion bird of the press, added O'Shea. Urbanite entrepreneurs, I suggested. Don't ride in no shit wagon neither, said Rob, and I never renew my brake tags. Fuck y'all. Brake tags were a cash grab and everybody knew it. Pay Orleans Parish 30 bucks vis-a-vis civic workers with poor bedside manner behind sandwich boards at assorted shell stations. You put a sticker on your windshield. You were in the right to not get stopped and fined up to $200 for nothing. Let that go long enough, sweetheart. Watch out. I'll slap on some blues and come get you myself. This room they do. You see, that's what I mean. They were always combatively flirting in public. It took us all a little while to recover ourselves from the sexual tension. Instinct, continued O'Shea, tells me this. Murder's always how it looks. Vast network of evil, conspiracy junk. Most criminals, trust me, are never that smart. That shooter or one of his boys murdered X. How you figure that, said Rob. X was, what do you call it they do? Carpetbagger. Right he said. Post-Katrina hopeful type who immerses himself in the vibrant street culture. Tries to be a deep-fried yat when he's really from L.A. or Boston or someplace. Puts on where you at and y'all. Wears fedoras. Learns his way around a crawfish. Moves into the seventh ward. Grows his own lettuce. Uses mommy and daddy's re-gifted forerunner to film gruesome shit that he sees on the ten. He calls it videography. He twirls his fingers in the air. And then one day he's seen too much, finds out he wants to make a difference. Buy broken New Orleans a pair of nice crutches, help it learn to stand again. Kent woman gets murdered, a mugging gone bad by some kids in the neighborhood bored in the summer, and what do you know? He sees debut potential. Goes Magna P.I. in the wrong part of town. He's knocking down doors and he's driving up rents. Even brings some heat down. 
motherfucker's got a B.A. Juju gets bad for the killers right quick. Pig sticking. He pounded his chest. In the heart. Make it look like a robbery. Hell, make it one. Take whatever they can and they run for the hills. A couple days later, Jarrell over there, he pointed at the bloodstream in the middle of the street where the trombonist kid, now in triage, had lain. Can't take the pressure anymore. They know he's going to sell them out. Gonna cop to the Kent woman, X, the shebang. Dirty boot ain't kind to black boys. Second line rolls on a Saturday, boom. He figures the chaos, horn section, drunk people. I might just be able to blast him and run. So there it was, the city's case, and they would probably make it stick. It would likely have trouble not sticking, I figured, how they treated black kids in this part of the world. O'Shea was right about those figures. But something about it just didn't cohere. First, the couch's bloody scrawl, which O'Shea might have found on his own by this point. But the question remained, did he know that I knew? And second, the Belloc, the Storyville portraits, the posing of X. Belloc was hardcore Big Easy, of course, but that didn't mean that they taught him in schools. They didn't teach him much in our schools, let me tell you. Not counting good old Mississippi, we were second or third short of worst in the nation. No matter how shitty things got under Jindal, we'd always have that over on them. It wasn't so wild for a couple of Seventh Ward's kids to know Belloc. It didn't strike me as an ace in the hole. Something vital was amiss. What did O'Shea said about the occult? As if this wasn't New Orleans. Not the prospect of something outright supernatural, but certainly something with all of the trappings. A killer that ran in those circles, let's say. The knife in X's naked chest. The blood graffiti on the couch. The reference to Belloc, the swollen-headed dwarf, and his portraitist's errands a hundred years past. Lil in my living room, cello-shaped goddess, as bayou weather lit her up. Human interest, said O'Shea. He scoffed and razored his eyes at his partner. Gentlemen, chimed in Daydu, mind you pay them tickets now, would hate for you to get picked up. O'Shea hitched his pants. Daydu straightened her collar and they walked towards the shooter, still hunkered curbside, but now with the beat cop positioned behind him. Toussaint and a middle-aged, church-formal lady were the only ones left at the scene by this point. I could hear the church lady was singing a hymn, benediction with strength in it under her breath. Toussaint was leaning into her, his close-shaven head nuzzled under her arm. It was one of those moments that seemed staged, but isn't. You wish that it was, but it's real, and it's awful. And though I knew it might be rude to document them in their grief, it seemed to me the only good that could come of this day gone completely to seed, and I started to edge towards the six of them, slowly, my Nikon held up at my chest. O'Shea and Daydu hadn't started in yet. They were hashing out strategy off to the side, glancing in the kid's direction. As for Cleveland himself, he was in hedgehog mode. He'd slowed off his tuba, which lay on its side, and was rocking himself in a traumatized ball. He kept saying the same two words. For him, for him, for him, for him. O'Shea overheard him. He called out, for who? But that was all that Cleveland said. 
O'Shea had essentially told us to scram, and Rob and me did what he said more or less, driving up Esplanade to the edge of the quarter and taking bar stools at this dive that we knew. We ordered fried green beans and red beans and rice and a round of sweet waters and took in the scene. A citywide smoking ban, much villainized, was set to go into effect the next week. Smoke em if you got em rain, and Ude Newport was afflicting the beans. You buy O'Shea's theory? Seems facile to me. Rob sipped at his beer bottle, watching the crowd. He said the kid wanted to make a run for it, but I mean, we were there. He did not make a run for it. He sat his ass right on the curb. That strike you as typical killer's behavior? Husband aerates the dude fucking his wife and delivers him to the cops, maybe then. But not that kid. Not like we saw. Gentrification hate killing my ass. Who says they're even connected, said Rob. Though I was pretty sure they were. For him. For him. For him. What him? It could be X himself, of course, but likely as not, it was somebody else. Some grim puppeteer who was looming behind him. Did that mean that Cleveland and Gerald, the victim, whoever he turned out to be, had no beef? Gerald, and by extension X, and maybe too, Amelia Kent. Had all of them been contract hits on behalf of the same unregenerate creep? The central question being this. What had all of them done to that creep to get got? I ordered us a few more beers. When I judged we were probably both pretty toasty, I suggested to Rob that we drive back to X's. Not to pursue the ex-Cleveland connection, but to talk to the dealers who live down the street. Or anyway, that's how I spun it. Consider the life of your average drug dealer. Miami babes and chainsaws, sure, but also a whole lot of sitting around. You needed a home base, like any good business. Optimally, a four-way stop with a decent lookout and a wealth of through traffic. From up there, the whole neighborhood would unfold. When me and Rob showed up, the party had dwindled, but most of the guys were still out, passing time. All up the stairs to the porch, they sat staggered, sucking down cigarettes, tipping back beers. A lot of them looked glassy-eyed. And now that we were up this close, I saw, too, just how young they were. Not mid-thirties hombres, but literal kids of 21 to 25. I'd brought a 12-pack of Corona along. I'd also, thankfully, brought Rob. Race is an unwieldy thing in New Orleans. Folks discuss it openly. That black chick, that white boy, and so on and so forth. But also, they never discuss it at all. It's what they don't say that you have to watch out for. So while I might have walked up to that stoop to ask directions or what time it was, in order to get after good information, having Cajun Rob there with me couldn't hurt any. What you need, partner? Said one of the dudes. He ambled down the stairway towards us. He was wearing an FSU Seminoles jersey, his arms a mock-up of discreet, small tattoos. He had dreads to his back with bright rubber bands in them that flashed when he brushed them back over his shoulders. At the bottom he crouched and once over at us both before looking deftly both ways down the block and continued to crouch, elbows hitched on his knees while the four other dudes kept the watch up above him. He couldn't always be this cautious. I had to ascribe it to what had gone down, Cleveland's murder attempt on Jarrell and the fallout. Cajun Rob said, talk at you a minute. He did the twice over. Y'all 5-0 or what? 
Press Pass, answered Rob. Or with NOLA.com. One of them tongue clucked and said, VIP. Just want to get at y'all a minute, said Rob. What happened down the way this morning? Said a dude higher up, pointing at me. He sure he ain't looking for some of that chiva? He's good, said Rob. He say he good? I'm good, I said. You all right, baby. Ain't good until you sampled this. And he jiggled his hand in his pocket. Group laughter. Got Wentworth Miller here, he said, and Sigma Phi Delta from Tulane. Y'all feel me? More laughter. Okay, they were having some fun. For now, we had to give them that. I stepped up next to Cajun Rob. Y'all know anything about Cleveland, the shooter? Dredd said, What's in it for me if I do? Sources say, I said. Say what? It's an industry term that we use. Sources say, as soon as it goes up online, like tomorrow, you'll see sources say and you'll know. That was me. A staring silence took the group. There was laughter again, but more hesitant, darker. You kidding me, bro? Said the guy with the dreads. Break open that case there and pass to the left. I'd forgotten about the case of beer. I tore the top open and did as he'd asked. The clinking of bottle glass circled the group, followed by the pop and fizz. When the rest of the case circled back to dreadlocks, he set it behind him halfway up the steps. Y'all friends with the boy that got killed down the way? I pointed over at X's place and said, Him? He come around before, like you. He asking them questions, like you, about murder. And what did you tell him? Said Rob. This and that. We was out here the night that that lady got shot. We heard that shit, said another. Stocky, close buzz, yellow shorts. Pop, pop, pop. Lady lying there, say 12.15. She's breathing fast like, huh, huh, huh. She's going though. She got one here. He hovered two fingers above his left eye. She's looking nice. White blouse, gray skirt. Below that she's wearing some busted ass Reeboks. Her purse still laying on the ground. There's some heels in that purse poking over the top. What happened to her, said Dreadlocks. Wasn't right. What happened to that white boy, neither. So what did happen, you think? Lots of folks outside that night. Them houses down by Esplanade. They look the same from here, he said. White people moving in and out. White lady owned that whole damn block. She don't sell to black folk. She runs the rents. There was this car, an Escalade. Anthony, bro, you remember what color? Anthony, the stocky guy, said. Black, I think. New looking, tinted windows. We clocked it going by six, seven times. By the time murder cops hit the scene, poof, it's gone. Cajun Rob said, get a look at the plates. L.A., that's all I got. And what about Jarrell, I said. How does it strike you what happened to him? Damn sure is a tragedy, partner. Believe. So what kind of kid was Jarrell, would you say? Isn't just Jarrell, I mean. You're saying Cleveland, too, said Rob. Young blood gets shot out here, he said. It's more than just his life that's over. You knew them pretty well then, I guess, I said. I could have shot someone for one of those beers, but where dreadlocks had put them a couple steps down, I figured I had paid the piper. Sixty years from now, I said, what do you think folks will say at their funeral?
if Jarrell even make it that long, said Dreadlocks. Now just let me think on it some. He turned back and showed his profile to the group. Jarrell could ride a deck, said one. Said another, he's decent on the horn. He's tight. He played drunken love at the Muses Parade. Jarrell, you know, he's sweet, said Dred. He's always got the time of day. And he's talking that skate shit with White Boy down there. And he's talking with Grandma at that old folks home that she stay at. He's sweet. He got good grades. He's going, where? Swarmer, said someone from the group. To Swarthmore, said Dreads. Early admissions. That's Jarrell, I cut in. So now what about Cleveland? Cleveland's a different kind, said Dreads. He's sweet like Jarrell, but salty like Cleveland. Love that weed, and loves his little brother too. Dreadlocks cleared his throat. Toussaint, he said, is Cleveland light. Cleveland ever go in through the gateway, said Rob. Maybe ask you for some of that chiva you're selling? Uh-uh, bro, said Yellow Shorts. He's going to college at LSU, baby. Strong safety, said Dreads, but he got in on grades. He's smart like Jarrell, but he's doing his thing. He's a grandma's boy, said the dude named Tariq. You a grandma's boy, said Dreads. The group busted out laughing. Dreads slapped his knee. So both of them love the grandmothers, said Rob. Not just love the grandmothers, said Dreadlocks. They close. He tangled his middle and index finger. They visit, like, every week. Cleveland and Jarrell, they close? For a moment it seemed like I'd said something stupid. I mean, outside of school. Were they friends? I amended. Close as friends could get, said Dreads. Can't blame you for asking what happened today. Cajun Rob said, you got any idea? Dreadlocks looked down at the pavement a moment. World's a funny place, he said. Out of all the young'uns out here, they were different. I figured they'd make it okay in the end. We figured they'd make it okay. He looked up. Life never turns out the way that you figure. When Rob dropped me off at my shotgun uptown, I was getting on quarter till one. I was sacked. I opened my door to find Lil on the couch. She was right where I had found her the evening before, but now wearing one of my button-up shirts and not much else. Her hair all must. She was propped on one elbow, legs stretched down the couch, perusing some year-old GQ that I had with Helen Mirren on the cover. The apartment looked lived in. Strewn clothes, dirty dishes. There were DVDs tinted in Boku beer bottles, and lots and lots of camel wides, their butts overflowing, a couple of mugs that I honestly doubted I'd drink from again, air hazy and acrid with unvented smoke. The AC was going full blast. It was chilly. I guess I must have made a face. I know, she said, and stubbed a smoke. But then I thought, it's too damn hot. I kicked off my shoes and sat down on the couch, draping her calves across my lap. You leave and come back? I asked. She looked down. Never left. You enjoying your stay at Shea Sherl? She smiled sadly. I tickled her knee, but she didn't respond. Why didn't you leave? I just couldn't, she said. Something came over me, scared me, you know. Don't you have a car? I said. I instantly realized how awkward it was, asking her that when she needed some comfort, but given the Escalade spotted at X's, I had to mention it. 
Her face fell a moment. She said, Start is broken. You're walking around in this heat? There's the bus. I can see why you stake out a place and stay in it. New Orleans ain't safe for a woman on foot. Oh, sweet Dixie courage, she said with a sneer. I just mean... Never mind, okay? Allow me to try that again. She sat up and looked at me attentively. You said you were scared, and there's no shame in that. I just want to know what you're scared of, I said. I feel... I listened. I tried to tune my body to her. I was sure as hell spreading it on, I know that, but here's the thing. I wanted to. Like, any moment now, she said, every good thing that's left, it could all go away. What could all go away? But she didn't explain. What could all go away, baby doll? I repeated. Allie catting about with those wonderful legs, she folded one over my waist and said, Hmm. The sound of contentment something unspoken. I repeated the question again for good measure, but that was all she had to say. The Lineup Podcast is written and produced by the Lineup staff and myself, Matthew Thompson. Special thanks to voice actor Michael Bates, author Adrian Van Young, and our partners in crime at Open Road Media. Our audio producers are Chai Dingari and Andrew Kohler. Background music is by Audioblocks, and our theme music is by Absofacto at absofacto.com. For more information on the stories we present, visit our website, thelineup.com. That's the-line-up.com. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter as well, which brings you five mysteries to your inbox twice a week. This is Matthew, and that does it for me. Until next time, keep it weird.